Welcome to Teaching That Counts, a podcast dedicated to the teaching and learning of mathematics. We discuss a variety of topics from building thinking classrooms to creating a more equitable math class. I hope that the conversations that I have with my guests help inspire you in your own classroom, school, or district, or if you're a parent like me, with your child's mathematics journey. You can find me via my website, teachingthatcountspodcast.com, or on socials at Teach. Thank you again for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, welcome everybody. This is our first episode of season two, and I have to tell you, we had such a great first season. We did we started the season in a book study, and we did the book study for Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics by Peter Lilladal. Had a group of teachers, and we came together to talk about each chapter what we did in the classroom, and, you know, really, that was such a great way to start a podcast. We talked about their experience, how they were going through using Building Thinking Classrooms as we went throughout the year and adding each of those toolkits in, and really just their experience in in transforming their classroom from something that was seated and direct instruction for a long time to um, uh, just an engaging atmosphere. And I had an opportunity recently to go into some classrooms on just some observation walks and it's catching fire here. And it's just awesome to see the the work that students are putting in, the, the work that the teachers are putting in, and then to hear from others that are saying that when they walked in the classroom, what did they see? Well, they saw students engaging. They saw students talking. They saw students doing the math and thinking. And that's what we really wanted. So I, I'm so excited to see where this goes and how we can move forward in this in season two. So we ended off season one. You know, since we started season one and we really primarily looked at building thinking classrooms, we ended season one with an amazing conversation with Peter Lilladal himself, where he talked about grouping strategies, student agency and identity and learning intentions and success criteria. And so how do we build off of this work that we did in our first season? Well, I'm I'm super excited to share with you guys just what's coming up for season two. In season two, the focus is going to be on building teacher and student self-efficacy. You know, Hattie has, John Hattie has an effect size of teacher self-efficacy of 1.57. And that's so much greater than 0.4, which is, you know, one year's growth in one year's time. Has such an impact on student, student growth. And we know that building student self-efficacy really helps them build confidence and growth in mathematics. And that's what really matters, right, is really can we get students to leave class not afraid of math, like you math, sometimes, most of the time, and, uh, and just build their confidence. And on top of that, how do we build teacher confidence through looking at practices and research? So to do that, we're going to have some great guests on this season Um, I'll continue conversations with coaches, with teachers, with students. I'm excited about having some students on this this, uh, season and get to hear from them and and how they're doing and what they're thinking. And, you know, 
what's going on in the heads of students? How are they feeling about math class this year? We'll talk to some admin and we'll see how can we expand on the journey that teachers have been on this last year. And we'll get an update from our Building Thinking Classroom group that was in the book study last year. We'll get a couple updates, see how those those things are going. And we'll talk with all of these guests about how we can build teacher and student self-efficacy in our class. Oh, and I've got some great special guests coming for this season of Teaching That Counts. So make sure you stay tuned um, for some, some great guests I have lined up this year. In this podcast, we're going to start with a conversation that I have with Sarah Harris and Melanie Roach. Those are our two math coaches um, with me. That's our math coach team here at the district that I work in. And we're just going to discuss our hopes and our focuses and goals for this year as we begin a new school year with new initiatives, uh, with uh, a new California framework. And what does that look like as we start to roll things out with our teachers And uh, it's a wonderful conversation. We have a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, Here we go. The start of season two, Teaching That Counts. Thanks for listening, everybody. Today, I'm here with the rest of our math coach team, Sarah and Mel. And we're just talking season two. So I'm opening. This is my first podcast of the next season. So I thought it'd be a good way just to have a conversation on what we're looking forward to, um, what are some of our initiatives, and as term in terms of this podcast, what can we do for the teachers? Uh, like who who are some people that I might want to have on the podcast too? I've got some really great people lined up for season two. So who wants to start? What are you guys looking forward to? I'm looking forward to just a fresh start, not a fresh start, but a continued start from last year and and thinking of all the things that we learned last year and building upon that to make this year a better year of math for our students and for teachers and having the experiences come to be those that are positive. And positive doesn't always mean fun, but positive means, you know, it's not a horrible thing to be faced with a math challenge. And I really would be nice for students to kind of end the year thinking, you know, math was math was a struggle or math was hard, but I don't hate it. Um, and something that I listened to today on one of IM's webinars Um, was one of their core beliefs they went over. They have like eight or nine of them. And one of them that they said that kind of stood out more to me today, thinking about where we're moving within our district, was that teachers are curious about and trust student thinking to drive learning. And I think for me, that statement, if someone would have told me that like 10 years ago in teaching, that would have been a scary statement to think about being curious about what the students think and, and use that to drive instruction because it was such a direct instruction teaching model and it was more telling the students what they needed to know rather than listening to what they do know and building upon that. So I think this year that statement's really going to hold true. We have some PD planned coming up for eight, seven or eight of our elementary school types. And I think that we're really going to learn how can I use that? How can I hone in on their thinking and really use that to help drive their learning and instruction? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, you know, I think that, I think that one of the things we're doing here in our district is, uh, is really looking at can we get kids thinking, right? We really want them out of their seats. We want them communicating and they don't always have to be out of their seats, but I know that we've been talking a lot about how do we get the kids really talking to each other and discussing and some of the techniques and things that I know you guys have been working on for years with this district 
um, some, at least at the secondary level, are finally going, oh, that's how we get them to really talk to one another. And so I'm, I'm encouraged, especially to see how the little ones have been moving up over the years and all the work that you've done and now getting into the high school. How can we continue that momentum? How about you, Sarah? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to mostly the weekends. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, not really. Not. I do love the weekends. Um, I think I'm looking forward to seeing everything finally come together. I feel like we've had bits and pieces, and now this is the year to have it all come together. So we have our illustrative mathematics curriculum, which transfers into open up into the high school, and we have our proficiency scales now aligned to the curriculum. We have our scope and sequence aligned with pacing and our proficiency scales, and I feel like now I would love to see, I'm looking forward to seeing it all come together and making an impact in the classrooms and for our students. Now that we have all the resources out there, I'm looking forward with Melanie to get back into the mathematics. I think that's where our love is, is actually being in classrooms and doing the mathematics and sharing that love of learning. So yeah, I'm really excited for this year. Yeah, I feel like over the last couple of years, we've been doing a lot of, um, I don't know, I felt like we were doing a lot of the background stuff. Unit planning? <laughs> yeah, unit planning. <laughs> uh, we are doing proficiency scales. I don't know, it's just been a lot of background stuff. And I've been able to work with a few teachers already individually. And I'm I'm super excited about getting in the classroom and helping teachers out, supporting them. And just even if it's just to go in and co-teach. And or just be there to, I don't know, to answer a question with a question, of course, for a student. Well, and seeing those unit plans come into practice now, I think, with our concept days and our lesson study days and actually being in the classrooms and seeing how those can come to fruition now that we've done the planning, what does it look like in the classroom with students? Yeah, I, I love the mindset in this school district so my kids go to a different school district and one of the one of my son's teachers moved from series to his school and I could just there's something I you know as going through back to school night I'm listening to the teacher talk about you know what they're doing and my son talk about his experience so far in the class he loves the teacher and I just like this is a great not saying all the other teachers aren't great teachers because we've got a ton of great teachers in the in the valley but there's just something that I know that is special about series and the teachers that that are really um, embracing a lot of the things that we work with. So, and I, I mean, I feel like that's an appreciation on our coaching team, on um, just the mindset shifts that we've been working on over the last couple of years. So, and my my kid loves it. I mean, he's he's just loving. He said to me. Not a while back, but he says the great, the most, the best thing about junior high is to have science every day. So I'm, I'm a math teacher and I love, you know, I, I like math every day, but when you're in elementary school, I guess you don't get science every day. Is that? No. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Not yet. Maybe. I'm thinking it's happening. Soon. Maybe we're going to get the closer to so more fun. science. Well, that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, know, I like it, it better than ELA in history for sure. <laughs> See, it's like fourth on my list. Science? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's like second. ELA is second. No history than ELA. I hate reading. So much fun. Yeah. We, yeah. But what I wanted That's to comment... That's why they're audiobooks, right? <laughs> I don't do audiobooks <laughs> either. That's why there's Melanie. Cliff Notes Melanie. Thank you. Um, one thing I do want to comment that was over the last... what we've been, I've been math coach now. It's my eighth year. Seventh year of math coach. Eighth year as a coach. Is bringing these things to the district and going to the conferences and the mindset shift. And teachers just taking these ideas and, and running with them. Especially in the K-6 world that we see. It's they, they don't... They just do it. They want to try. They notice that, you know... If it's not working, how can we make it work? How can we do better for our kids? And just the amount of momentum that we have seen over, though we might not have seen it initially, we definitely see it now. We went to a conference. Was it May the three of us went to the yeah. Joe Buller conference? And we were sitting there doing the task and things like that. And it's just like, we've been to one before, but sitting there with the perspective of we have like six years five, or seven years under our belt of doing this, seeing the growth that our district has made from the first one we went to to now. And that is in part thanks to the work that the teachers are doing out there and the students are doing out there to make mathematics an enjoyable experience for students and not just book math, as we call it. Yeah. Let's talk about that task real quick, because I remember how we were on the same table, but we were split up into two different groups. And I remember how yes, we were. <laughs> <laughs> I remember how the group that I that I was with just so happened to end up being like a high school like a high school ish group. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure if that was the same in your group. Um, but I know that when we were looking at the task, even though the task seemed to be elementary, it really was able to go all the way. I mean, we were taking out our des we had Desmos out and we were like trying to figure out some calculus and max and mins. And I don't think that's the approach that you guys took. I was trying to figure out why you were taking out the calculators. I'm like, (laughs) I thought we were just looking at this right now, but we were cutting and taping and made lots of boxes to compare the volumes. So yeah, I mean, we were doing our thing. We got to the graphing in the end. We did. Yeah. We definitely took the model. We, we, we had fun playing with our models. (laughs) I'm curious now what grade level or grade span that task was. That was a good task though. That I can see that one being done. I want to say third through 12th. Third through 12th. Or fifth through 12th would have been one of those two. And that's, what's great about those tasks and doing them is we have the opportunity to see a task being done at the third grade level. And then we have the opportunity to see the task be done at a ninth grade level. Yeah. And it's amazing to see what the third graders can do. Because when they get to ninth grade, they're just going to be able to build on that. And and seeing that they're able to do some of this stuff, the language might be different or the terminology might be different. But what they come up with is very much mirrored to what we see with ninth graders. But they're just adding on the connections and the vocabulary as they go up through the grade levels. So, mm-hmm. You know, I, I know talking to you guys about um, the importance, and there's research that shows this, the importance of knowing how to do the math, like no understanding the math. But I think that there's so much importance of knowing that span of like what's coming, what did the kids do before and what are they doing next? But not so much just like if I was teaching fourth grade, which I would never teach fourth grade because my school teacher, <laughs> but let's just, for an example, never fourth able. Grade. <laughs> although, you know, I, I, you might end up should, in a fourth grade I, class one day. I, I ended up Kindergarten subbing, is one of my favorite subbing, places to teach now. I ended up subbing third grade and, um, I, it was just, uh, it was such a really interesting experience for a high school teacher to be in a third grade class. They're a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Kids are a lot of fun. It's just uh, things you take for granted, like, you know, in high school, there's passing periods. And so students go and then they come into your class and, and you go switch into kids. class. And you, you switch kids, right? And in elementary school, you don't. You keep the same kids the whole time. So it's quite an experience. But anyway, if I was, you know, if it's in fourth grade class, knowing what they did in third grade and knowing what they did are going to do in fifth grade is a huge advantage to help you understand the mathematics that you're teaching in fourth grade. But I also think knowing where it's going in seventh and in eighth can help you think about where they're going to eventually end up. And if you're in 10th grade, I was talking to a 10th grade teacher, and the 10th grade teacher was was talking about, oh, they did those area models in second and third grade? Yeah, this is what they do in multiplication division. So how can we connect division in their elementary experience with long division of polynomials in their high school experience? And knowing those connections is, I feel, pretty powerful. I think that has to go back. I think going forward, but then also look, we need to look back too, because how fractions is represented, this is an example, in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, it's completely different than I learned it when I was in elementary school. Um, reducing fractions, not a thing anymore. Simplify, even simplifying a fraction to lowest terms for an answer not a thing anymore. So understanding that what the students are coming with and what they're learning at the high school, when they get to high school, might look different in terms of what the standards actually have students do and their expectations. So I think, um, yeah, that's a lot of information to hold in your brain though. But I think it would be good to kind of just look at that coherence. What are the major things? And that's some of the work that we're going to start doing this year at the elementary school level. We are going to be looking at spans of learning to help support that idea of where are they here when they start with me and where are they going, but also where are they coming from, so. And, you know, always talking about those F words in math, fractions, functions, (laughs) all. Factoring. Factoring, (laughs) all the fun ones. And Mel mentioned earlier, and, you know, we kind of all talked about it, like, this is a big year. There's a lot coming together. And Having teachers that are willing to make those risks and what was your quote about failure? Failure. Oh, failure is feedback. I heard that Fail- today. In my yeah. Webinar. So I just think failure is feedback that we're, you know, we're not going to know what's working and what's not until we try and having that appreciation for teachers out there willing to take those risks, willing to fail, willing to learn. And um, I really appreciate that. And also want to give a shout out to our intervention teachers and Mel for They're working with lots of work. Yeah, yeah Mel working with intervention teachers and, you know, they've really supported what's going on in classrooms and they've done a lot. And I think that's great, too. So from looking at all the people we've mentioned, it seems like it's just it's a whole it's like that whole village idea to help support yeah. this. It's not just one entity in this in the story of mathematics. It's going to take this team of people that we have, and we actually have the opportunity to have this great team of support within our school system to help, you know, make students have enjoyable experiences with mathematics and want to continue with mathematics. Sorry, Abel, did I steal your, did I I steal the closing thought? No. (laughs) Do we have a closing thought? Not a a closing (laughs) closing thought on this. Um, But that, that, that mathematical agency is so important. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not, it, as as important is in students, it's so much more important in the teacher. Mm-hmm. I know that 
I've had teachers in my past. Clearly, we all know how I feel about ELA. So (laughs) (laughs) it's important to know how you feel about math as a teacher. (laughs) Well, you know, I've had I've had situations where I've had family members have kids in in school, and this the teacher just doesn't do math, and it's like fourth grade. They just skip math time because they're not the teacher themselves wasn't comfortable with the mathematics. So, you know, you got to have the agency in the teacher as well as the agency in the students. And and we know from research that that's a huge, huge indicator of whether the students can um, succeed later on is their mathematical agency. So, so I'm pretty excited about that work that we're doing. Let's talk about another F word in math. Yes. Framework. I was trying oh. to guess which one I was going to say. Uh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> the one we always use? No. So California Framework was adopted this summer. Hallelujah. About right? time. It's done. Yay. We've been waiting for this for, what, four four years? I can't even remember. A long time. It's hard to remember with COVID years in, in the mix there. It's. I started reading the first draft in 2020, at the beginning of the school year of 2020. I remember. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're in three years in here. Mm-hmm. How, how much of a shift do you think it's going to take for teachers... For our new for this new framework, well, I'm not worried at all. Me either. Are you? I think we've really laid the groundwork, especially with like instructional routines and number talks and splat and which one doesn't belong, and all of these just instructional routines that our teachers I think were comfortable with and have been using, and now um, they're being called out in the framework. So I think that's a big piece of it. I feel like we're already front runners in in knowing all of those things and. All the work we've done with um, collaboration and working together and journaling and identity and agency and um, working with ELD Principal 1, ELD Principal 2, Discourse, I think that all is now coming out in the framework that our teachers are familiar with. So I don't yeah. see it as a huge uh, No, I think the chart with a little spirally thing broken down into the... What are they called? The dots? The little connection things? I mean, we have to explain yeah, that. the content connections. In the, <laughs> that in the thing. Yeah. Can't but we I mean, just say it's a circle yeah. thing with the dots? The circle thing. It's done. The that, I mean, that, that's a, something that's going to, like, the connections. But I feel like with the work that we've been doing with proficiency scales, that work also kind of aligns to making the connections with mathematics, within mathematics. And so, I mean, our names might be a little bit different headings, but it's also something Sarah and I referenced when we were doing the proficiency scale so it's going to be something that kind of ties in so yeah i i feel like the shift is going to be tougher in secondary than it is in elementary and and i've read and reading some articles that elementary teachers kind of see this as a natural connection to the science standards that were were uh introduced not too long ago so but i you know math in secondary land has very been that's the only thing that they've been doing is mathematics and so I think that there's going to be some, I don't know if it's culture shock or pedagogy shock or just some shock. We've been working on this for years here in our district. And I know that the efforts that we've been working on with our secondary teachers and the change in the curriculum has really got us moving towards the direction of the framework. So I think we're, we're like you said, sir, I think we're ahead of the game. Um, but I do see that. I think it's going to be a tougher shift to make in secondary than it is in elementary. I don't know if you'd agree with that. I would probably agree with that. 
Mel's reading. Yes. Mel's reading. Mel's reading. Yeah. Well, I heard something. See, I'm going back to my webinar. I yeah, I think it's just a shift of how we teach. I think the shift of how we teach mathematics has to look different. If we know something's not working, why are we still doing the thing that's not working when we know that we can do better? And sometimes that's frustrating because we've been doing something a certain way for a while, and that's how we learned it. But when we look at the data, when we look at the, the achievement gaps in subgroups and things like that, there something has to be done to change that. And if we know there's practices out there that could work, let's take these theories and put them into practice and try and see if that works. Um, and I think that is going to take a mindset shift to see that different can be better. Doing something different can have a better experience. Um, it is hard to go from a role, I think, to a facility, to the teller of knowledge and the holder of knowledge to the facilitator of the knowledge that's there. And that does take some time. I know from my own experience doing that, it, it, it took a while. So um, I'm hopeful. I hope the experience that my daughter, she's in fourth grade now has when she gets into high school math is going to be one where she is able to expand upon her ideas and her classmates ideas and formulate. Well, what's the one thing we heard Joe Bowler say that we all kind of resonated with us is if all the work looks the same, then it's not theirs. So for me, if I'm in a classroom and seeing student work and it all looks the same, whose work really is it if they're the ones that are supposed to be building on Mm -hmm. those ideas? Because you can only get through life to a point with mimicking what other people have showed you. But I think the key skills are being able, those math practices, being a problem solver, being able to make a model of something, being Mm -hmm. able to justify your thinking and construct viable arguments. Those are really the skills, skills. I think, that are the essence of the math math content standards, what students are going to need. Yeah, I heard uh, the, the one who's doing the math is the one who's learning the math. So... If we're spending all our, if the teacher's spending all the time doing the math, who's, who's actually learning it? I think that goes back to the original thing with IM's beliefs of teaching and learning what you just said, that teachers are curious about and trust student thinking. That's a scary thought to have that shift for me. If I'm telling, I have that control. But if I'm curious about what you think, because I've heard some things that people think when I'm in a classroom sometimes, and you, when you open things up sometimes, and you have to figure out how to control the conversation to get to the mathematical goal and the point. So I think that having that trust in student thinking is going to be something that it's, you have to build a trust. You have to build a trust to see how that's going to work within any relationship. So, yeah, so true. And, and I just remember what that quote was. Um, so Peter Lilda actually says it in, in building thinking classrooms. He says, you know, if, if, if what we were doing was working, then we would see, we would see a bunch of thinkers. We would see all kids succeeding. We would see all the, and it's like, we just don't see success. The national assessment of educational progress doesn't have the U.S. ever increasing mathematical scores. Not that we want to use assessments as baseline data, but if it's working so that these techniques the classic techniques have been working for some. You know, some of us went through school and we're like, yeah, we're great at math. This really works for us. Um, but that's not the majority. I think no. there was a, a statistic. What did I think Joe Bowler might have said this? Um, what is it? 15 to 20% of kids 
go on to do something that needed calculus. What's going on with the 80%? Mm-hmm. And how are we serving that 80%? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think it's time. I think it was time a long time ago. But um, it's nice for the framework to actually call it out and really get us on the right track. And, you know, what California does really pushes the rest of the country to do some things because of textbooks. That's going to be the biggest thing to come out of this framework is the way that textbooks are written. Um, soon we'll see that. So, well, great discussion today. Um, I'm looking forward to, I'm doing a book study, which I know that Sarah loves book studies. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm doing a book study with with some teachers this year on the book, The Imperfect and Unfinished Math Teacher by Chase Orton. It's a pretty amazing book about professional development Mm -hmm. and how to really make it meaningful for teachers. So I'd love to get a group of teachers that want to go through some of this professional development in in this book. I would love to have him on the podcast. Hopefully that will uh, be somebody that I can get for season two. And I also hope that this year, the three of us can meet like this and um, have a couple of episodes in this podcast. Where we just talk about how things are going and what we see going on in our district and we see kind of happening all around us with in terms of math ed. Mel and Sarah, thank you for being here. Do you have any last moments? Thanks for having us. Last moments. Did I say last moments? No, I have some last moments. I said, do you have last moments? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of continuing. Last last thoughts. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks thanks again. And uh, we'll see and we'll talk to everybody soon.